On this week's episode of the Superhero Show Show, we'll find out if the taste buds can keep their tears in their eyes while talking to the creators of X-Men the Animated Series, who avenges the Avengers if the Avengers get murdered on What If, and if the worst thing that can happen on Stargirl is Mike becoming a part of the team. All of that and more on an all-new Superhero Show Show. What's up, nerds? Welcome to the Superhero Show Show, the only show on the internet that reviews every single live-action television show based on a comic book or a comic book property. My name is Cass, and I will be the host of this episode, and um, I just want to say it's going to be a banger of an episode. I'm going to call the shot like Babe Ruth right now. This is a big episode for all of us, um, and I just know it's going to be... We're going to try not to cry. There's going to be high emotions, tears, drama, all of it brought in this one episode. And if I can make one guarantee, it's that we will not talk about The Walking Dead. So just know this. There is no Walking Dead talk this week. There will be talking from my friends, though. I've brought a couple along to help me with that. First, let me introduce Ryan. Uh, Mike, Babe Ruth is a baseball player. <laughs> yeah, and would know. be a horrible popcaster. Probably, yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I bet he was pretty funny. But you were probably thinking, like, what is Cassie talking about? Why is she saying those random words? Did that candy bar call shots? What does that mean? <laughs> if any candy bar would call shots, it'd probably be Babe Ruth. Not Three Musketeers? They're always ready to fight. No, not them. Thank you for bringing that option. Not them. Mm-mm. But this other voice you hear is Mike, who had a wrong opinion about a candy bar. How's it going, Mike? I... I <laughs> I've been made fun of for my opinions a lot on this show and in real life. <laughs> Never knew it was because I mentioned Three Musketeers existing. Get that <laughs> I out of here. I'm on a Three Musketeer eraser. Like, that's my mission. Don't let people think about Three Musketeers. Uh, we've gotten, I want to go back to Cassie said that we're not going to talk about Walking Dead, which is full agreement here, but a lot of fans are upset. So uh, to give them what they want, and also say fuck you, maybe we should just go back to the beginning and start reviewing episode by episode of The Talking Dead. Oh. Do you think that would make anybody happy? So, al- also, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking about The Walking Dead. It's in the poll <laughs> list. Like we are, no. we are having a conversation about it. I wrote uh, a little question for you guys. You know, it's just not, not in the main segment, even though it's season eleven. Just came back. <laughs> we're simply listen. We don't have it in us. We can't. And there's there's bigger things to be talked about this week. There's we've got a huge interview lined up, and I know like that's this is like the, when the podcast peaks. I don't even know if we're gonna be able to podcast after this. Do we just end it here? Well, we'll just replay this. Ep- we'll release this episode every week. That that seems fair. That, I like it's, that plan. It, it's dense and deep uh, and nuanced enough that people will get something new out of it every time. Every single time. Like, at what point one of us is crying when we're not talking? <laughs> I mean, from I, the shared <laughs> excitement of it all. We were excited to talk about The Walking Dead, but I think it's worth noting that we couldn't. Like, this is the first time that we've never had, uh, like, a main event, like, one specific show that we focus on for the episode. We've never. That's how big the interview was. But unfortunately, it was The Walking Dead that had to lose out this week. And we feel terrible. (laughs) We feel so bad. I do like we're such pros that we're not talking up the interview. We're just Mm -mm. kicking The Walking Dead in the nads. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we will never lose an opportunity to dunk on The Flash or The Walking Dead. Those are the two, always. 
Um, but I guess, should we mention what this big interview is? Or do we just keep them guessing until right till the <laughs> end? Keep well, them- <laughs> until the end of the interview where we say, and that has been our conversation <laughs> with... They saw. They probably saw the title of the show and probably read the. I know everybody reads the liner notes of podcasts as if it was like a new vinyl that they just got. Got to uh, memorize the lyrics before I start listening. But what do you guys think? Like when quarantine started, is when we started doing an episode of X Men: The Animated Series per podcast. Yeah, because there, yeah. all of the shows, particularly the CW shows, which fuels ninety percent of what we have to watch. Um, you know, quarantine hit them, COVID hit them, and so we didn't have anything to talk about, and so we started watching X-Men. Uh, it has been quite a journey. We're only two seasons in, but uh, it's it's taken over the show, basically. And we were able to speak to the Eric and Julia Leewald, who, you know, helped launch the show. Insane. And the story of how they did it is fucking bananas. It really is. It's probably... it's. Such a good interview. Um, we will be playing that at the end. And as we mentioned, there is no main event, so we're just going to go right into our pool list. And that's going to be right now. We are back for our pool list where we talk about all the other shows we watched this week. First show starting it off is What If. In the third episode of What If, it's the Avengers gone wrong, as Yellow Jacket is determined to keep them from forming, and what's a better way to do that than a little bit of murder? With Fury being the last Avenger who is on Earth and not frozen, he has no option, no other, no other option but to team up with Loki, who later takes the opportunity to, to, to become leader of the free world. Taste buds, I ask you, did it hurt to see our little Avenger babies get murdered? Not as much as I thought it did, or would. <laughs> Because it's animated. I swear to God, if I saw Jeremy Renner die in real life, I would cry for days. But Specifically Jeremy tears Renner. of joy. <laughs> it was more weird that this was on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. yeah. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's a lot of people... I've seen a lot of hate for this episode specifically, and I liked it a lot. Like, it isn't one little thing's different. It is... This felt, this felt the most like the comics of like... Oh, really? Fuck you guys. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say I liked it because it felt like the least. And oh, interesting. I think that each I like each episode more than the last and it's because they're not giving a shit. They're like the the comic books had the specific premise. Uh it was kind of one, you know, it was sliding doorsy, right? Mhm. And you just t- you chose one different you made one different decision and the whole world changes. This is now it's just like whatever the fuck we want to do. Like do yeah. you guys want Rocket and Howard the Duck to open a beauty salon? F- yeah. Fucking do it. Like, who gives a shit at this point? I think the real what if, because it's like, what if Earth lost its mightiest heroes? I think the real what if is, what if Michael Douglas was played by Michael Douglas from the game? Uh-huh. Or every other <laughs> Michael Douglas movie except for Ant-Man. His unhinged eyebrows. Uh. <laughs> there was a close-up. Mike, have, Cassie, you probably don't know what this is like, but Mike, has has your barber uh, ever been like, you know what, I'm just going to slide over to these eyebrows oh, yeah. and I'm going to have to cut some of them down. Oh, yeah. Just a casual slide over with no mention. Do they ever, yeah. do they just go to town on the eyebrows or is there a mention of like, let me just help you out? I really respect when they don't bring it up at all. Yeah. They just handle it for me. Well, no, the person who does my hair, she knows how sensitive I am. Uh, <laughs> like... She also makes jokes. She'll be like, so do you want me to just cut out the gray today? Like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. But she she doesn't ask because she knows that I would feel old. And so she just, she'll say something like, look over there. And she'll have her razor to my left. And I'll look. And the eyebrows come off. Michael Douglas needs that. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, but yeah, Mike, back to your point of like, it's insane that like it was just surprising that it was on Disney to watch this. And it's crazy that this seems to always happen to me each week, each episode. I kind of forget like how little fucks they give with this one. And I'll have a moment mm-hmm. each week. But specifically a lot was th- with this one where I was like, this is a Disney show. This is crazy. Yeah. But I think the only one, the only death, obviously, that kind of hurt was Thor's. I didn't think they would kill Thor. There was something about him being, like, you know, a god. I was like, well, surely he'll stay. But no, surely he won't. I like that everybody drooled over him before he died. (laughs) (laughs) Marvel Uh, is not always great at the running joke, but how fucking gay everybody got about (laughs) Thor's hair. Just, I would fuck that guy's hair right now was pretty great. (laughs) That was also sort of the giveaway, though, I think. Like, did you guys guess who this was before the reveal? No. I didn't. Not until, okay. um, like, not until the fight when, like... The, Him versus Black Widow? Yeah. When you couldn't see them. That's the only time where I was like, oh, it's well, gotta be. Yeah. I My brain was dumb where I was like, oh, it's Ghost. And I was like, that's weird. That's yeah. a minor character. And then I was like, oh, it's one of them. And then I was like, oh, in the file she brought up, it said Janet Van Dyne. So it has to be connected to that world somehow. Mm-hmm. And and then in classic genre fashion, like if you're the genre, um, Black Widow doesn't say, it is Hank Pym. She's yes. like, hope. It's all about hope. And Okay, come yeah. on. Her I, last, I do- <laughs> last dying breath is going to be still a riddle. Everything depends on this. I... We have to talk about, like, there was so much made about not how many uh, actors from the MCU came back. And in this one, again, there's like 10. Yeah. But, but there was more press on who didn't come back for whatever reason. And Lake Bell, playing Black Widow, was, like, we need to hand her a shushy right now. It was an incredible impersonation just on the verge of, like, SNL, but ticked mm-hmm. one level back. I cannot believe what a great job she did. To, so not a uh, satire, right? But, but close. Not a parody. Yeah. But like, <laughs> But Scarlett Johansson's raspiness, like Black mm-hmm. Widow's, uh, the way that she delivers lines, I cannot believe what a great job she did. Well, that's mm-hmm. uh, hiring a, somebody who knows how to voice act is pretty sweet. Yeah, but there was moments where I had to like, I had to like recheck. I was like, wait, is it not? <laughs> like the voice isn't the same, but everything was just enough where I was like, wait, hold the fuck up. But when it, she talked, did you rub your eyes? Were you like, what? <laughs> Just like a cartoon. Um, for me, the point when they brought in Loki, the only I think Loki was my problem with this episode. Like, it kind of made sense, but it also felt like too much of like an easy fix. And there's this thing with what if where it's like, we've been talking about how we haven't seen the consequences and they kind of just like tease to them at the end. And I don't know if we'll ever see that or like what those consequences like look like fulfilled or if that's all this is, you know? Where we just see, like, this is then what happens. I see what you're saying, but I love the the smash cut of, <laughs> I think I'm going to stay a little bit longer, and then takes over the world immediately. Uh-huh. It's very Loki, for sure. But it does but just I, seem like a, we didn't know what to do, let's bring in Loki. Let's bring in the other god. I, I think the comic book, and probably the show, for as long as it exists, will always suffer a little bit from the premise is the fun part. Right. And so the structure of, let's say, a 22-page issue or a 30-minute episode, the the first act and second act will always take longer than they should <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's the premise is so interesting. And then the third act's going to be rushed every time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Um, all right. We are almost out of time. Let's go to moments of the week. Ryan, what do you got? Uh, I have a couple. One, shout out to Hank Pym 
uh, just asshole of Marvel. Like he <laughs> he hit his wife one time in the '60s in the comics, and he is just ever since then. That's the guy you go to for being a piece of shit, even more than villains. Um, but we were talking about deaths, and they were all crazy that we were watching them. But that Hulk death, the way that yes. you, the oh. way that you kill someone who cannot die. Um, <laughs> I could not believe what I was watching. It was disgusting. It was hilarious. Uh, the way that they quote unquote shot it was to put the camera on the ground and have Hulk's exploding green goo rush towards the camera. <laughs> uh, it was crazy. I could not believe they did that. It was also how long it took for each of his muscles to grow. They really built uh-huh. the anticipation of like, yeah, we're yeah. going to explode the Hulk right now. <laughs> the body horror of it. Yeah. Of the slow pacing of it. Yeah, that that is mine as well because it was delightful. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> uh, my moment of the week is we mentioned it, but sp- Coulson specifically of how much he was into Thor and just his like very first, uh, like it's an accurate description, sure, sir, he's gorgeous. Like his <laughs> true love for Thor just really felt very Coulson and was a good joke. What uh, about Coulson's password though? Was that pushing things a little too far? <laughs> a little, but I knew it when it was like Exo Steve, 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 I, I heart Steve. I love Steve Rogers. I love Steve Rogers. Exo Exo Steve. I love Steve Rogers. <laughs> but uh, Natasha asked for the password, and he's like, "I'm not going to give that to you." And it, he tries to make it because it's like that's not Shield protocol to give you the password. But really, he was just right. embarrassed. <laughs> just a little embarrassed. Uh, what if is Wednesdays on Disney Plus? Our next show is Supergirl. On this week's episode of Supergirl, Kara copes with returning to Earth with Zor-El posing as her uncle. Taste Buds, I ask you this, and this is going to be the question for two shows this week, because we are entering the final run of Walking Dead and Supergirl. How many episodes do you think we owe Supergirl to watch before it goes away forever? One. Yeah, I'm going to lock in at one here. Price is right rules. One. (laughs) (laughs) Lower. Uh, (laughs) If Supergirl and Walking Dead end on the same day... Or in the same week. <laughs> what are we going to do for the show? Two main events. Two main events. Okay. <sighs> Oof. And we will times. be that excited about it when we discuss it. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to watch it in our place, so it's Tuesdays on the CW, our next show is Riverdale. On this week's episode of Riverdale, Archie is dealing with his PTSD from the army, not the bear. Uh, Betty is doing her thing, tracking down the chainsaw-wielding serial killer known as the Lonely Highway Killer. And Cheryl is helping Kevin get over Fangs. Taste buds, I ask you, if catching serial killers suddenly became my hobby, would you step in and do an intervention for me? Fuck no. I would no. want to be your sidekick. <laughs> yeah, definitely the guy in the chair. I was, yeah, Ryan and gotta... I would each have an earpiece in a different one of your ears and say conflicting <laughs> messages of what you should do. <laughs> the whole time the I'd field. be like, it's Mike. And Mike would be like, it's Ryan. It's totally Ryan. <laughs> so nothing helpful. Not even like a good angel, bad angel, good cop, bad cop. None of those situations. Just confusion. <laughs> What do you mean nothing helpful? Isn't there a chance that me or Mike is the serial killer? (laughs) We're both white, middle-aged men. There's a really good chance. There's about an 80% chance it will be you guys at some point. So that's fair enough. One of us can tell no lies, and one of us can tell no truths. See, I couldn't couldn't do it. That would be an intervention in enough. Thank you for actually, that would be your way of doing an intervention. (laughs) Uh, Riverdale's Wednesdays on the CW. Our next show is Legends of Tomorrow. This week on Legends of Tomorrow, Bishop and Ava play Hannibal while Sarah and Nate play Chess and Watch. Meanwhile, Zari lays into John, who's still truckling against Evil John, and Mick has some babies. Taste Buds ask you this, how's Bishop doing as this season's big bad? Hannibal. Did not put that together. No, the ep- the episode was called Silence of the Sonograms. 
Okay, but they don't put the title of the show on the. No, I wish no, they, they did. Um, I before we called Bishop um, Millennial Jason Manzukis, uh-huh. <laughs> but now after this episode, I'm thinking more like Evil Ben Schwartz. <laughs> as long as he's somewhere in that realm of comedian. Yeah, as long as he's you know <laughs> uh, that level of like comedians that are just below this level of fame that like your mom is sort of them, but he. He tweaks all of his lines in a Benny Schwaz way. He uh, just the delivery is there, and he wants to be likable, but he's bad at it. He actually, reminds right. me of being you. <laughs> I like how he sings everything. I don't hate him. I have some issues with this season, but it's not Bishop. It's everything else. <laughs> uh, I actually thought this worked, and it was because of Bishop, and it was because. Well, I thought that the John thing was handled the best so far because John and Zari yeah. sat down and had a conversation that I really, really liked. And yeah, that- her, I love you, but you're hurting yourself and it's hurting. Like, all of that was. They did a space bowling alley episode, <laughs> like, but they still they handled this very well. And I just, I love when TV shows cut to the chase and they don't, like, try to stretch everything out until, yeah. you know, for seasons and seasons and seasons. Zari and John had to sit down and then also bishop was doing this stuff to talk to john and so i felt like you know like an episode of seinfeld finally all these disparate stories are coming together at the right end. uh i did like that that i couldn't tell if he really did want to be i couldn't a legend, i still don't know where he was just like i want to go on wacky adventures i'm like well that's how astra got on this shit that like that is what they do yeah uh and if he is around in sort of like a Negan, Negan is from The Walking Dead, a show that you guys just don't even consider to be a real show. Uh, <laughs> Never heard of Never it. Heard if, of he's, it yeah. if he's there in like a Negan capacity where they can just go to the prison and yeah. you know he can have a scene or two from now on, I think that would be okay. How did you feel about uh, Nate and Sarah? The, the Legends goes meta often, but them playing chess as they're watching Bishop and Ava play mind chess at each other. It's... It was one of those moments where, like, I, hold on, let me check the files. Have you guys never done this before? <laughs> you have to have had done this before, right? But it was fine. It wasn't mind blowing, but you know, it's. I still think that an average Legends idea is still a good idea compared to so many other shows. What about mixed birth? Talking about body horror this week. Okay, his his <laughs> cartoonish nose as he shot snot eggs out of his brain. So Hulk was bad it was it was hard to watch hulk but this was horrifying <laughs> it was so horrifying that i uh, maybe we can do that thing where like there's no more budget for the rest of the season yeah like it's all gonna be bottle episodes because of what this looked like but yeah uh the he gives birth and he gives birth through the nose to 49 <laughs> yeah i think so 49 little slug babies oh but God. <laughs> they don't cassie you gotta understand they don't just come directly out of the nose Uh a lot of them swim around his face before they come out (laughs) and so like his eye bulges and then his forehead (laughs) bulges absolutely Uh, not i think there's a ray bulger like it's Mm -hmm. uh this is definitely my moment of the week (laughs) it was so nasty (laughs) and he only has gary who is going to be the godfather to all these children to help him good gary moment when he was asked and he was like well i guess yeah sure while he dances around Mm -hmm. so excited about it just a sprinkling of Gary. Well, we already so, was that really your moment of the week, Ryan? I've got another one, but yeah. All right. Was there anything else big that happened, or I feel like body horror is like what could top that? Is there anything? Should we just go to moments of the week? Sure. 
All right. Yeah. Mine is uh, Ava's trying to plan her wedding with Bishop, and he's just like, I'm just going to like word association. But it comes out, Ava wants a gray cactus filled appetizer list wedding. <laughs> and that made me, her favorite color is gray, her favorite flower is cactus, and she thinks nobody <laughs> likes appetizers. <laughs> and uh, that's when I was like, oh, she's right. She shouldn't be the one planning this wedding. <laughs> I love that no appetizers is the line where it's like, absolutely not, get out of here. Uh, and Ryan, uh, what's your other moment of the week? Yeah, since Ryan already took the mixed face thing, then I will say um, Bishop is now like 6% Sarah, right? Mm-hmm. And so he knows things that Sarah knows, like how to control Gideon. Uh, and Gideon just does it, but she's sorry about it. That like Just <laughs> yeah. her like her her talking to the legend, she's like, he got me. He, he got me. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, that was pretty good. I also like the 6% is everything Sarah knows about the ship and her fighting skills. That's a lot of 6%. What I would love is like favorite color and flower. So maybe we yes. can brighten up this wedding a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and appetizer. Never forget. Uh, Legends is on Sunday on the CW. Our next show is Titans. In the fourth and fifth episodes of Titans, we see where Blackfire has been held as Starfire and Garth do a little road trip to find the source of Starfire's visions. Meanwhile, we flash back and see how Jason became the Red Hood with the help of the Scarecrow, surprising absolutely no one. Taste buds, I ask you this. Given that this show has a pretty big cast, why can't this spin several plot lines into a single episode rather than dedicating a whole hour to us show everything we expected? I don't know, Cassie. I don't know. <laughs> These two episodes could have been on episode and just cut so much fat. And so you're going back and forth. I guess if you must show what we all assumed, there was no surprising. The the Jason Todd, we see Jason's, he does have human friends who don't necessarily know he hangs out with Batman. Uh, we see a little more of him there, which is like the least annoying he's been. And then, but every step of the way of him becoming Red Hood was exactly what we've assumed happened. Mm. And if you're going to do flashback episodes, it should reveal something. And I actually... I guess the best part of it was seeing more of Vincent play his stony asshole scarecrow. Mm-hmm. I hate how or like I love how smart he's being. Love to hate, uh, and that like every at every step he's like I'm a bad guy. Why did you think I'd help you at all? <laughs> like he's like and now we're gonna kill everybody. It's uh, I'm enjoying his performance, but yeah, what a waste of an episode Man. and Are just you a massive that- cast that they just send away and go. We won't see you for a while. Is it a waste of time because? You're a comic book reader and no lore, or because you're above average TV watcher, and of course this is how it happened. More that one because comic book, like it isn't how Jason became Red Hood. There is a Lazarus Pit involved, but Scarecrow's like, yeah, Ra's al Ghul left this. Only I found it. I'm just gonna shove your body in here now. Like, and then Jason comes back. It's so it is. He did get like no fear juice. And so he's just skateboarding like it's the 90s. <laughs> that sounds like an, an energy drink. <laughs> and that's what like, but like all the steps, like the, 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 it really is Anakin Skywalker saying, uh, I'll kill one person. I guess I'll slaughter a bunch of little kids. Jason's descent into I'll murder everybody because they said I couldn't be on the Titans does not make sense. And showing us more of it makes it make less sense. Do, what, it could be COVID forced. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't remember titans that well before covid but it could be like we have to shoot and edit this way because of covid i do know that they the titans titles of episodes are have always been one character's name right and maybe they're just taking that too literally like you can name it after one character but that doesn't mean 
You can you only have to include that character. Yeah, episode four is Blackfire, and I that that worked for me is that Starfire and Garth are on this little road trip to find her, and because Starfire is having visions and like acting them out, she basically has superpowered night terrors, and she almost kills Garth and instead of running away. He just goes like, "Hey, let's." figure out what's going on with you. But that could have been interspliced with a, a real plot line. Both both of these episodes felt like an hour dedicated to a B plot. You know what you could do? You know what you could do, Topher Grace, is <laughs> you could recut the third season. And I think well, why it's annoying me so much is I've I've been the guy who's watching Titans this season. I'm like, this might be a TV show finally. And this felt like a double slap in the face <laughs> of like, oh, you thought we learned? <laughs> Fuck you, Mike. It's like they listen and they're like, "Oh my god, we have somebody who has hope in this. Let's crush him." And I'm sorry, or they it heard has about you. They heard about you watching, and they got so nervous, and now they're <laughs> fucking up. <laughs> it was nerves. But Mike, do you got a moment of the week from these episodes? Yeah, I got two. In the Jason Todd before he becomes uh, Red Hood, Vision is uh, he's like, "All right, Batman said I can't be Robin anymore. That doesn't mean I can't stop bad things from happening." And him and his orphan friend try to take down like a drug dealer who also stealing kids on the side because you got to diversify got to. <laughs> uh, and the guy's like who are you and jason todd says i'm fuck she's off we hate clowns and just the hardest laugh and there's so many of these kinds of lines where i'm like does the show want me to laugh and hate this kid or do they think it's cool That's, i cannot tell that feels like before they said that line it should be from the people who brought you fuck batman yes. comes this line of dialogue right here uh, and then the second one is in the flashback episode, we get a flashback, which is gotta love that. Always good. Uh, because Scarecrow and Jason are hanging out in this cabin, and uh, or Scarecrow and Dick are, because Dick kidnaps the Scarecrow. And we find out this is a cabin that Batman has lured, all, not lured, brought all of his Robins to and say, to groom. survive the night and you become my <laughs> Robin. And Scarecrow looks horrified at the story Dick is telling him. And Robin's like, no, no. I was good. And then in the flash flashback, he drops the head of a wolf that's been chasing him all night, decapitated in Batman's lap. And that's how you know Dick is okay to be Robin. And it's like, oh, they truly are saying this Batman is actually the biggest villain in this entire universe. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. God bless you for doing the work, Mike. If you want to join Mike, it's Thursdays on HBO Max. Our next show is We're Doing It, The Walking Dead. On uh, the final season premiere of The Walking Dead, the tension between Team Maggie and Team Negan begins to hit a boiling point. Taste buds, who you got? Negan. You, you're rooting for Negan, or you're predicting that he wins? I'm predicting that he wins. I, I know how the show makes terrible choices, so you know I'm just going to double down on that. And if I know these writers, I'm going to say it's the Negan. Should we put like uh, that thing that we tell teenagers, should we also make that a sign for writers' rooms of just make good choices? Yes. yes. And they have to look at it and reflect on it five minutes before they start actually writing. It's got to be a law. Somebody has to fix this. Mike, um, are you rooting for Maggie? I'm, yeah, I'll, I'll go team Maggie because I think this show, it's not just like that they would fuck up and have Negan win. It's that it's a bigger fuck up to have Maggie win because for years now she has not been on the show and he has. And it feels like the show has dedicated to his redemption arc. And I can't think of anything dumber and funnier than them being like, never mind, he's not redeemed even after 10 years in this world. You know what? Would be pretty good. Do you think when actors leave a show to go do a different show, like Glenn Howerton on It's Always Sunny and uh, Lauren Conrad on Walking Dead, when they come back to the show because the show failed, that the, all the other characters should somehow meta-mention 
Yeah. That in every episode from then on out. Yeah, it looks like you really foobarred that whiskey foxtrot up, Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a glorious line. <laughs> They're going to hire you for this. <laughs> the Walkie Dead is Sundays on AMC. Our next show is Stargirl. On Summer School Chapter 3, Mike has let out the pink wishing-granting genie named Thunderbolt, which has earned him a very short-lived spot on the JSA. The JSA also gets introduced to the Shade, and they quickly learn that he is not here to mess around. Taste Buds, I ask you, do you want to just start screaming about nerd shit right now? Like, right off the bat? Because I've been warned. Yeah, I... Ryan, take it away. Uh, Do you guys not know what I'm talking about? No. I, uh... I, I, I don't know. I was too busy watching the episode and having it pour over me to think about what we'll be screaming about. Um, okay, so first thing that we see, this is for Mike. This is for the mics out there. Ethan fucking Embry. Oh, in. yeah, Ethan Embry as, as Johnny Thunderbolt, one of the best actors who gets the least respect. Fucking love Ethan Embry. Cassie, do you know who Ethan Embry is at all? He played Johnny Thunderbolt in the flashbacks. I know, I know him from this role, in this role only. Okay, a little movie called Can't Hardly Wait. Okay. A little movie called Empire Records. Okay, never heard of it. A little movie called That Thing You Do. Mm, mm. He plays a character called the bass player in that one. <laughs> oh, the bass player? Of course. Who can't go on tour with the Onetters because he breaks his arm jumping over uh, parking machines. Mm, I didn't and know he's replaced that, by, that fame. He's replaced by Tom Everett Scott, right? No, that's Giovanni Ribsy. Giovanni Wait, I'm Ribsy. sorry. Giovanni Ribsy is the drummer who breaks his arm. Uh, Ethan Embry's actually in the whole movie, just doesn't get a name. Yeah, so are we barely talking about all. a specific movie, an old movie right now? I opened the floor to your guys' nerding out, and this is what we. This is what I've done. And for me, who is slightly older than Mike, uh, directed by this episode was directed by Leah Thompson. Really? Yes. Who is Marty McFly's mother? Yes, Marty McFly's mother, and also. Caroline in the City. Also Caroline in the City, of course, who was about to be Suddenly Susan, but then Boston Common happened. Um, <laughs> also in Howard the Duck, and has asked Marvel to give her the property. Yeah. She, she Ooh, has please said, let me. Can you please let me do this? And so this is her. She directed this episode. Uh, there's one part, one part of this episode in particular that I thought was very of Leah Thompson's era. But yeah, the one-two punch of Ethan Embry, Leah Thompson in the first eight <laughs> minutes of this episode uh, really freaked me out. <laughs> The two most famous redheads in Mike and Ryan's past life. <laughs> what uh, what is the Leah Thompson esque part of this episode, Ryan? Um, okay, so they they have the classic monkey's paw situation where they have to be very careful about what they ask the genie because the genie is uh-huh. very literal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they decide that we're going to let Mike be on the team as Thunderbolt or as the owner of Thunderbolt um, just for today, just for the weekend. But we have to help him craft the perfect sentence. And then an 80s montage starts of just them at a dry erase board perfecting a sentence. Guys, could anything be closer to my heart than these four minutes of television? (laughs) You love 80s montages. And as an English teacher, you love sentence breakdowns. We do need to talk about the fact that it was four minutes, too. They did not cut cut this. They were like, no, let's show the process. And... They're like, all right, we got to write this sentence together. And they all look at each other like, yeah, dry erase board time. And then it's three, two, one, brown, brown. And then they all work together. They all cross out random things and write random things. It was a perfect, perfect four minutes. 
I love Mike tries to do it later alone, and we don't see the sentence he comes up with until he says it and fucks up. And it's so clear he did not get the exercise because uh-huh. he has the most loophole laden sentence when he did it alone. <laughs> also, when he went to the whiteboard, he started writing so big, like he was not committed yeah. to making it at the perfect wish at all. The, the whiteboard is only so big, and we have to fit all of these people's handwritings in. Mike, why don't you settle the fuck down, <laughs> Mike? Mike, did we? Did I we really get- don't like that this guy's <laughs> name is my name. Oh, <laughs> I'm not talking about the character. Did this episode make you guys change your opinion about him? Because it's weird because I'm sick of Luke Wilson always telling the JSA to stop being superheroes. That's what they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet when everybody was like, Mike, you can't. I was like, no, he can't. You're right. <laughs> you absolutely Ta- cannot. Tell him to go fucking sit down. <laughs> but I do think they, better than a lot of shows we've done, would try to tackle this. I am on Mike's side now. And that Barbara gets where Mike's coming from. Like This definitely is the lowest Jonathan side of the family being like, yeah, it's crazy to have to deal with them having powers. Huh? I get it. Mm-hmm. And Mike, at a certain point, walks in, obviously having the shit kicked out of him. His clothes, they're ripped. And everybody's too busy talking about pancakes and what they're going to do about the shade. And nobody gives a crap about this little kid who got beat to hell at his morning job. <laughs> and I'm, I was like, oh, Mike's going to go evil. And then I was so surprised that this episode, he did not. That's every time there's an episode that gives Mike more than five minutes of screen time. I'm like, they're making him a villain because he just gets shitted on. It's all he's there for. Yeah. I would I, I would rarely say that anything does anything better than Stargirl, right? It's pretty much perfection in my eyes. But one thing that I think this episode noticed is that Superman and Lois is doing a great job of Lois and Jordan. Jonathan. Jonathan being on the same team as the unpowered half of the family. Right. Mm-hmm. And I thought this episode, it was, at, it was at the end, but it was like the show or the characters recognizing like, and it was Amy Smart saying, oh, fuck, I have to teach this kid how to be an, a non-superpowered right. person in a superpowered family. Yeah. And I love, she is now like, she's not planning, but she is the final stamp. She's like the COO of Stargirl Inc. <laughs> And Pat has to run the plan by her. I love, I love uh, unnecessary bureaucracy. Like I love, when, <laughs> I love when like Beetlejuice theory. You know, yeah. Excuse me, almost threw up there. Uh, when <laughs> if you take a thing that shouldn't have bureaucracy and then you add it to it, it's always my favorite thing. <laughs> and whiteboards, as we established. Yes, um, I love whiteboards. Did you guys? Was the addition of Thunderbolt being so over the top and annoying combined with Mike? Was it too much, or did it even out? Was it a net neutral annoying at that point, or did it just up it to a point of unbearable? Well, Cassie, why don't you ask answer that question? Because I feel like that you have to deal with Mike and a pale, pasty, gaffigan looking Thunderbolt every episode. <laughs> For me, it was it was a little hard to watch. I was yeah, like, was, I was it? Sh- did it was strike sh- a little close to home? I don't even get a break. I was shaking a bit from that, but I. Do you I know mean, what? No. Honestly, like if it wasn't for me seeing who directed it, I could see getting annoyed. But because Leah Thompson is so tied to one era of movies, it it wasn't just Gaffigan and like that, but it, like all the stop signs falling, like mm-hmm. it just yeah, a lo- all of the stuff that Thunderbolt did felt from a different time, a mm-hmm. time that is sort of being made fun of in this episode, sort of being respected. It all sort of worked for me. Yeah. When he said, I want to be taller, I almost thought we were going to get like a little big yeah. uh, flash because it's definitely that era. And I think Jim Gaffigan as Thunderbolt walks the line of, is he evil? Mm-hmm. Or like, you can't like, there's the, the enough amount of tongue in cheek of like, 
he wants to help Mike. He's like, you you gotta be specific because I will fuck your yeah. shit up. Yeah. <laughs> and, but like, but him always doing it in the funniest way. But I really enjoyed. There's a little bit of Loki though of like. He gets off on mischief, though. Yes. You know, like as much as he wants, as much as Thunderbolt wants to be a hero, he's like, <laughs> yeah. And then what else? This show, what this one does so good is when it goes dark. In this episode, like when we had, you know, Gaffigan, Genie, granting wishes, like all all these jokes and everything. The switch from the shade, like their little tea party, and then when he like no longer, he just means business, and he can easily mess up their whole thing. Like that yeah. was a super intense flip, and that really worked for me this episode. I was like, oh dang! Like the shade is some real problems. I. We've, we talked shit on this guy's performance, I think, last week, that he was, you know, sort of an average villain, but I fucking loved him here. Mm-hmm. When yes. he is, he's at the head of the table, like, using his powers, which, Mike, do you see these powers that he controls shadows and you can fall through shadows? It's the scariest, coolest thing. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever created that is awesome. Um, the look on his face is he's using his hands to move shadows to, like, really fuck these kids up, and he's, like, annoyed but mm-hmm. it's like that he has to do this, that he has to bow down. But it's almost also like whether it's true or not, that moving the shadows causes him pain. You know, like right. he's like sort of grunting through it. I thought him sitting at that table was like performance of the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we've gotten so many versions of gentleman villain before. And I think this guy crushes it like because uh, how gauche for me to have right, to choke exactly. you with my shadows. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. And also, like, the disdain in his voice when they're like, you were part of the ISA. And he's like, those nutbags or whatever Britishism he called them. Like, <laughs> he, no, he, I'm of a different caliber. He said, I, he said he was ISA adjacent and then spent 10 minutes trying to combine ISA into the word adjacent, <laughs> which I think is the most ghost thing you could do. But I, he doesn't want to kill these kids. Right. That's why he's aggravated, but he's like, I will if I have to. And then we get the the final fucking stinger, which he he said he he's very scared of uh, Eclipso. Right. And he realizes that Eclipso's going to kill these kids. Is he happy about this? Is he no, scared about I this? Think, I think he's going to be on their team now. Oh, dang. I think Eclipso is actually the worst. Like, it, 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 I do like that uh, Thunderbolt is to the JSA as Eclipso is to the ISA of... I guess you're on our team, but fuck, man, you really freak us out. <laughs> like, honestly, that would be really cool if they do that. I do hope for that. Um, that but is he's al- got pubes, though. Don't they have a no pubes rule? Well, Pat's got pubes. <laughs> yeah, Pat does have pubes. <laughs> now, they're, you're on a call-in basis. If you have pubes, you're a sidekick, and you can get called in when you yeah. need it. Um, that's all the time, though. So let's go to moments of the week. Mike, I'll start with you. Uh, I- I'll whittle it down. I got two. Uh, one made me laugh a lot. And one I thought was heartwarming. Uh, in the flashback, Christmas 2010, when Ethan Embry as Johnny Thunderbolt and Pat are just taught, and Pat's like, come on, man, it's okay to be on the sidelines. Work on this car with me. Uh, that Wildcat shows up and he's like, Starman says we need everybody. And Thunderbolt's like, yes, unbenched, not you, Stripesy. <laughs> <laughs> Instantly. We need like- everybody. We're going to die, but not you. Still not uh, you. And then. One that really worked for me, uh, Mike and Courtney, like uh, we love the family stuff, is Courtney's trying to talk Mike out of wanting to join. And she's like, Pat's your dad. That's v- veto power I can't overrule. And Mike's very like earnest, like, can you just help me try? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And her being like, oh, like, I was like, fuck, fuck you, show. You yeah. did that real well. Yeah. Because so many characters on so many shows just have to skate on coolness, you know? Right. And for him to be like, to drop it all down to the ground and just say, could you please help me? 
That was pretty I good. Need, I need something right now. I'm getting beat up on my paper route. Like, give me something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Ryan, what about you? Moment of the week? And I think it's a good idea, even though I don't want Mike on the team. Like, you should make sure he's not a villain. Because yes. at, the, <laughs> at the rate he's going. Uh, so, obviously, mine is the 80s montage. But I have to give it up to Pat, our boy, our favorite. Um, last episode, Pat sat down and said, oh, is that like a 1965 Plymouth? And Shade was like, <laughs> uh, it's a 1964 Dodge. And Pat, in this episode, was like, I knew what it really was, okay? You get that. I, when I sat down and talked to you, I knew what the fuck it was. And then you can hear him as the scene continues and other characters start talking. You can still hear Pat in the background saying, I said it was this one thing, but I knew it was the other thing the entire time. <laughs> Fucking car guys are so serious about the years that a car came out. Who it's their everything, shit? man. <laughs> it's, if you fuck it up, man, it's terrible. Uh, my moment of the week is just Mike getting beat down from his paper route boss. Boss, like he gets, he goes home early, and then he's taking a phone call, and it is the most stressful phone call. Like he's just like, oh, another person. Oh God, okay. And I'm like, this is a paper route. There's no way this boss is this intense. But that was my moment of the week. Uh, <laughs> if you want to watch Stargirl, which you should watch, it's Tuesdays on the CW. That was our last show for the pull list, so we are done with that. Which means it's now time to talk about websites. We always got to talk about websites, Ryan. Tell me about your website. I have a new website uh, because I don't get the newspaper anymore because the paperboy isn't very good. Mm-hmm. And so what I, was, what I was looking for is a website that will bring the newspaper to me where I could just read the newspaper on the website. And okay. so in, instead, of, work. instead of having a paperboy deliver web, uh, newspapers, uh, I would just have the paperboy film the newspaper with his camera, like live feed it to me, and then I would like type, turn the page, and that's how I could read newspapers on the internet. Okay, and you don't, this needs to be a live thing that's happening in real time. Like you need to get the paper boy to log on at a certain time and do this for you? Yeah, and so we would all have our own paper boys that would log on when we need yeah. and mm-hmm. then film, because we're all not reading at the same pace. I'm a much no, faster reader than both of you. I, I'm basically a speed reader. And mm-hmm. so. And I like to read everything. I know you guys pick and choose just the articles that agree with your bubble. But I do like, you know, multiple opinions. I do like learning about what other people that aren't like me are like. Mm-hmm. And so, and even with that, I'm still a faster reader. So we would have to have different paper boys filming on this website. Cut like only news, only paper boys, uh-huh. <laughs> something like that. Only paper boys, I think, is great. <laughs> only boys. Only, only boys. boys. <laughs> Well, yeah, you got to shorten it, Ryan. For your only boys website, I this seems this seems too important to leave to your hands. I know you got the vision and everything. I know you got the scheduling with the paper boys, but the website half, um, I'm going to point you towards Cybersprout.net, okay? Because they're they're going to be your partner. They're your partner for the digital world, and they're going to be able to handle this for you. They're focused on collaboration, and they've got goal driven design to help your website reach the right customers. Which in our case, I don't know, old people, young people, uh, everyone's the right customer here. Um, Only boys is good for everybody. <laughs> if there's one thing I know, but they got premium hosting, they handle security, everything. It's built for WordPress. They're your partner for the digital world. I don't know if I said that, Ryan, but your partner, digital world for Only Boys. Okay, are you gonna go are to this? Guys- yes, I'm gonna go, Cassie. Jesus Christ, um, are you guys ready for this? For what's this- about to come? I don't know. <sighs> I, guys- should we pre- should we pretend like we're about? We haven't done it yet, and we're about to call yeah. them live. I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> what if I burst into tears right away? Should we, we talk about the a cry Cassie, session before? before? 
No. Yeah, I, I do want to talk about Cassie before you hit the button and play the interview. I I do want to like what were what were you guys doing after the show or after the interview? Like, just how staring, were you feeling? Staring at a blank wall. Just unbelievable that we did that. Just realizing that like we peaked that night. Uh doing laps around the house because I had so much like nervous energy. Uh, when I tried to tell my wife about it, I did almost start crying. I texted my mom about it. <laughs> <laughs> I texted my little brother. And I got to say, guys, uh, everyone who I texted was like, I, who, who gives a shit? But that's <laughs> our listeners are the ones who give a shit. Yeah. Yes. That was what was important. I needed to have another conversation with you guys because every other person I went to and was like, this is what just happened. And they were like, okay. And like, that was all they wanted to talk about. Like, that was the end of the conversation for them. And I was like, absolutely not. Sit back down. There's more here. You know, what we should have done is, Cassie, you and I should have not told Mike, interviewed the Leewalds, and then told Mike we did that. And then we would have gotten the the reaction that we wanted. (laughs) Oh, shit. Fury. Blind fury. (laughs) Flames. Flames. (laughs) Flames. <laughs> and we still would have got the patent mic tears. So it, I f- think next time when we interview them again, I'm sure that's what we got to do. But uh, we've talked about it enough. It's time. Our, our, we got to just play this interview. Thanks, Cassie. I'm here with... Whoa, Cassie, you are still here with me. You can't usually, get rid of me. Usually you just let me do the interviews, but... And Mike is time. here too. What is there up, is- guys? No goddamn way I'm going to miss people who help me become who I am more than my own parents. (laughs) (laughs) Almost all of my notes say, uh, just keep mentioning the fact that they raised us more than our parents did. Um, (laughs) I am here today, and so is Cassie and so is Mike, with Eric and Julia Leewald. Give it up to them, folks. If you have never heard of them, they are, like Mike said, responsible for us, responsible for so much that we love that we're going to get into. But... Most importantly, X-Men, the animated series. Julie and Eric, thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you so much for reaching out and having us on. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. And Mike and Cassie. (laughs) If we start sweating or crying, you guys know why. You're probably used to it at this point. (laughs) If only. No, (laughs) we're writers. We're used to being in small, quiet places with no outside contact. No human beings. So this is all wonderful. (laughs) We love this. We love it. Well, we're podcasters, so we know what you're talking about. Um, Same thing. I want to start from the beginning. Um, What stage was the project at when you guys first came onto it? Um, It was hours away from starting when I got called into it. Uh, it was February 92, which may be older than some of you. Yep. Uh, but they, behind the scenes, Fox had been kind of hoping to get this thing together and getting it on the air. And this wonderful woman named Margaret Lash, who had recently been made uh, president of Fox Kids, had been trying to get X-Men there on the air for about 10 years, which it sounds strange now, but nobody here in Hollywood put it on. They said, ah, no, no kids will watch that. You know, it's just a, it's a little comic book thing. We need a much bigger audience. And I want to jump in and remind all you younglings that back then there were three major networks and they had Saturday morning blocks of kids TV. And that was it. Yep. You might have a local syndicated show in your area, but the three major networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, wouldn't touch X-Men with a 10-foot yeah, pole. Yeah, Margaret Margaret worked for Marvel for a long time, and she pitched it to them each year, and they just say no every year. So it had been gestating for a decade inside of Margaret, 
but she had just gotten together what she hoped was the right production people in the weeks before I got the call. And, and Fox was just now becoming a network. It was a mini major network at that time. Yeah, yeah, it didn't have national coverage yet. It was trying. It was happy. It wanted to make itself stand out somehow. So yeah, it was a, it was a Sunday night and they said Monday, Monday at 10 a.m. We're getting all the people, we're getting the artists together and the people from Marvel are flying out from New York to Southern California, which included Stan Lee and a bunch of folks from Marvel Comics. And Haim Chaban was going to be there because he's putting money into it. And so, Eric, you need to come tomorrow morning because you're going to be in charge of writing the show, uh, <laughs> the writing of the show and setting up this world. And I looked over at Julia because it's, you know, it's 10 o'clock on a Sunday night and it said, the X-Men, that, that's a Marvel comic, right? Uh, I didn't, hadn't read the X-Men. I'd read other Marvel comics, but I didn't know. And it was, there was no internet, so I couldn't Google it. And there were no comic book stores open. And basically just everybody's advice to me was just shut up and nod and listen to everybody else during this big meeting and hope that they don't ask you too many questions that first day. The folks at Fox have brought you in to the project initially by saying, Eric, we want to lock you down for a new show that we're going to be doing. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And then, and so you were planning to go in for this new show. To a different show, but to it was all it was a smoke screen. They're yeah. keeping it under wraps that they were going to do an X-Men show. Why? I don't know. Yeah. But they, they thought it was important. You that know? Sunday night, you got the call saying, yeah. it's not that show. It's yeah, going to be this it's, show. It's going to be X-Men. And so, uh, yeah, it was real early on in that. And uh, luckily, uh, the head, the two head design people, Will Minio and Larry Houston, were lifelong Marvel crazed people. You know, had just memorized every X Men comic that had ever been written. And so they and their their art staff were up to speed on it. A couple of the writers that I used were, but the first two weeks was you know, me doing a graduate course in X-Men history. And there was there a couple ref, uh, reference books then, but it was, so I was, I was in on it from day one, but I wasn't really into it until a couple of weeks in because of my own ignorance. And this was back before, again, before the internet, and you had your, your, your good friend, extremely talented writer that you sort of tapped to be your, the head writer for this. And it was the two of you sitting around our dinky, our dining room, dining room table. table, tossing out ideas to each other and saying, okay, this character, what's, what's about this character? Well, what about this character? Trying to sort of figure the, out what the team was. The first, because the, the, the word was after that meeting, which went great, <laughs> uh, that, oh, they needed uh, the 13, the first year's 13 episodes laid out and the Bible for the show in, you know, two weeks, 10 days wow. would be better. Which is not how it works. Yeah. That's what <laughs> but, you know, they were a little <laughs> bit behind and we all needed to hurry and the budget was kind of tight. So, and of course, the guy that's working with me is a buddy of mine, Mark Edens, who wrote or co-wrote, you know, a couple dozen of the episodes. Um, he, he didn't know the X-Men either. <laughs> we just, we, we were big movie fans. We were big heroic movie fans. We loved historical epics. We loved Westerns and war movies and intense heroic dramas. And so we looked at X-Men and said, oh my, this is perfect. This, you know, we can just push this into this, adult drama sphere if they'll let us and luckily the people at fox really dug that and that's what the books were doing and so there wasn't this the usual thing we get when we work in kids tv is dumb it down write it for six or seven year olds oh they're not going to understand those big words stop with these involved stories and everything and this time fox was saying screw that we want to make a, a splash so 
push it. And so that was that was the great gift of X-Men to us was just for the first time in our many years working in TV here was being told, write the most intense adult thing you can think of and we'll love it. <laughs> it's very strange to me that the execs that you were talking to had a good idea. Like I thought usually they would <laughs> dumb down whatever you had not say that. But I mean, that's such a big part of why it meant so much to me and Mike as kids. And now Cassie, Cassie's a lot younger than us. So she's catching up. And when we when we said, hey, we're going to start watching X-Taz for the podcast, Cassie was like, oh, okay, uh, some kids show. She had no idea that she was in for like the, <laughs> the best written soap opera of her life. Yeah, they you know, told me it formed them as children. And I was like, this has yeah. to be an exaggeration. And now it's forming me as an adult. So, <laughs> All right. I, yeah, I, I was flipping through channels sitting like an inch away from the TV as a six-year-old. And just it was Jubilee running from the Sentinels that I was like, oh... I threw the baseball glove off my hand, <laughs> threw my hockey skates away and went, nope, I'm a nerd now. And you're doing that. You're doing that in front of the TV where you're, you never look down at the cereal. You know, you just no. blindly yeah. keep shoveling yeah. it into your mouth. <laughs> and and I, I think not talking because everybody thinks they should talk down to kids, not talking down to kids and having like one having Jubilee be like that, that, that younger character to adapt. But all of them like they are freaks and they deal with that. They don't try to like cushion it at all. And I think being a weird little kid, that was huge because even at six, I was like, I didn't know other people felt ostracized. Like it was amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, and uh, for Eric with you and Mike, Mark Eden sat down and sort of figured out what would be the first 13 episodes. Mm -hmm. And the show managed to run for four and a half, five seasons, but you were only told, you were told we have 13 episodes. It's probably going to fail. So give us the best 13 stories you can come up with for this universe. And we just were focused on the characters. We mm -hmm. didn't have any agenda like, oh, we have 20 or 30 favorite comics that we just are dying to. We didn't know. Uh, them. We didn't know. Them. So we <laughs> just thought, okay, what is the most intense story we could tell about Rogue? I said, well, uh, that she has a chance to 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 give up her mutancy, okay? Because it's because yeah. she's so lonely because of what she's got, and would she would she leave this family that she's grown up into and give up what she is to to get past this loneliness? And she'd be tempted, and so that so that's where we started. We started with asking what would be the coolest storm story, what would be the coolest. A beast story, mm -hmm. and like you know, for the second season, Julia, you know, Julia came up. Okay, wait a minute. How about like uh, City Lights, the Chaplin story, where there's a blind girl that oh doesn't, know that, beast, that, that <laughs> doesn't nice. know that Beast is is a mutant. And then we realize she does know. She's known the whole time, and she yeah. loved him, and he loves her. But the world's so darn ugly at that point. That and still, so thirty good. years later, and it's still terrifyingly relevant. But yeah, have you guys noticed <laughs> that? All the villains that are attacking the children's hospital in that episode are alive and well and in the city that I live in. Yeah. <laughs> There's the episode we were covering, and it's when they storm the Capitol. And we're like, yeah. what? How did they know? Yeah. How did they know 30 years ago that these. I, you know, and that, that's the hard part. There are no residuals in animation. So we're not getting any of the sweet coin 30 years later. <laughs> With Would using you, those intense stories, is it is that how you chose which characters? Because you were so new to the X-Men. Yeah, so were you yeah. like, well, I can tell that Rogue is going to have a lot of narrative. It was absolutely positively was we wanted the most diverse mixture we could get. And of all things, the thing that really stuck in our mind was Winnie the Pooh <laughs> and Sex in the City. Because those characters are so distinct from each other that it makes writing easy. You, yeah. you can never give Pooh a Tigger line or Rabbit 
an owl line. They're such well, they're such different characters. So, or Charlotte, a Samantha yeah. line. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so oh, no. we never. multiverses right. would crack at that point. <laughs> but, so, so that was in, in picking the team because they're right. There were 29 we could pick from when we first sat down wow. that had been X-Men up till that point over the 25 years. And so we didn't want, you know, a bunch of big gruff guys. We didn't want, you know, uh, Cable. Cable and Wolverine and Colossus and Thunderbird. And we didn't want like six linebackers, you know, right. growling at each other. We wanted this this mixed crew. And so even though we weren't thinking from like a feminist or, uh, you know, a racial balance uh, perspective, it just happened that half the team we picked was women. Yeah. I mean, there was yeah. not, that was not a, a directive from from anybody. It just was these balanced most interestingly, and also the ones that had the coolest animation powers, like Rogue's yeah. arm can fly. Yeah, and they're just things that certain people can do that are intrinsically more animatable and you know fit the team better. So it was it was it was a balance, but that was there there was thought put into it, and we all decided pretty early. But Julia, tell you. A couple of the characters, like like Beast, were not thought were not supposed to be lead characters. Mm-hmm. That's Jean why Gray, Beast, and Jean Gray yeah. were not a yeah. team characters. Yeah, Be- that's why Beast is in jail the first in the uh, first episode because well <laughs> we'll have him for an episode or two, and then we'll stay with the core team, and we maybe come back to him, maybe we won't. But he was just so cool and so different, kind of like Spock like to the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. We and all the writers wanted to write him and get into his voice so he asserted himself like a good actor in a, in a live action show where by the time you've done three episodes or oh, we can't leave him behind so right. he's and gene was the same way we hadn't planned to focus on her that much but she had a relationship she understood everybody in the way the other people didn't bother to kind of like the matriarch of the family yeah yeah, yeah. Wolver- you know wolverine didn't understand beast or xavier you know he probably didn't care but Jean did. She understood everybody, and that was a, so. It was a great, you know, glue for the for the whole team. I want to point out also Margaret Lesh gets credit for when you presented her with the team to be X Men. She didn't say, "Oh, because we we've heard this note how many times in writing children's animation? Too many girls. Too many girls. Yeah. You know, you have your team, and you can have a girl. <laughs> but uh, this that that never came down on yeah, us. Yeah. But at the time, also Marvel was invested with uh, a young Jubilee and a new Gambit. Those are two very new characters to, to that world. Mm-hmm. And they were specifically interested in hoping to have them on the team. Yeah, so that's yeah. kind of how that came about. They were, yeah, they were, Marvel had four or five suggestions like that, that if we could find a way to fit, they'd appreciate. And Jub- Jubilee would show, we all agreed we needed one teenager to go with these 20 something, 30 somethings that were the core group. As a way in for the audience. Yeah, it's, yeah. she's our eyes. Yeah. yeah, and it's, yeah. it always kind of works like that, right? Because Pride of X-Men had Kitty yeah, a yeah. few years before, and then the movies even started with Rogue in that role. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So so that it's it's a, it really works. It really it helped us in the in the pilot. If you, we go back and look at the pilot, and I'm amazed how how much stuff we set up. Because yeah. we were told and it was true, 85% of the audience at the time had no clue who the X-Men were. It's not true now. But then yeah. they didn't know. We didn't know. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we had to make sure that by the end of the two episodes, everybody kind of knew what their world was, what their powers were, what their situation was. And that's a lot of exposition and setup to jam into a 44 minutes story. And, but I, it just, I mean, we did it really fast. 
Also, <laughs> I think the thing that looking back, one of the genius things was rather than make um, the, the, the sort of good Xavier mutants bump up against the Magneto bad mutants automatically, the, the bad guys were the sentinels, mm-hmm. the, the, the scaredy cat humans who were trying to, who were terrified of all mutants, didn't qualify them as good or bad. And that suddenly gave you this amazing uh, tension between just the mutants in general. And that allowed you to come up with what I think is such a beautiful uh, angle between Xavier and Magneto that they both in a way want the same thing. They just want the world to be okay. Yeah. But the achieving of that, they each see it from a completely different standpoint. Yeah. Cause we, we looked as, as many books as we could really fast and it seemed to, to be two, two general categories. One was, you know, which super mutant will beat the other super mutant. You know, it's kind of like uh, wrestling, you know, which we, love. Which we yeah, <laughs> but, but it was, it was the big battles between the super villains and the superheroes. And that was okay, but that wasn't as interesting as mutants trying to fit into human society. That's mm-hmm. far stronger uh, dramatically for us and much easier to write. So we steered the show towards that every every chance we got. In fact, there are a lot of episodes, if you look at them, they don't have a super mutant villain. They don't even have a big villain. They just have a problem for the X-Men to solve. Yeah, especially those, you know, when we we were doing one episode or we're still doing one episode a, a week for our podcast. And so we're watching one a week, which is hard for a lot of us who it's really hard to only watch one episode. But, uh, you know, within the first couple of minutes, you're like, oh, this is a rogue episode or, you know, this is a gambit episode. And that that means that we're not going to get Blob and Pyro and Avalanche all together and big fights. That means like we're going to we're going to do some character therapy and we're going to dive in into what makes these characters tick. That was not on TV then even for adult shows you know and i've often thought if if you switched around the beauty of the x-men the animated series team if if wolverine and rogue swapped powers if rogue was incredibly was could heal and she had the adamantium she'd be fine because she just wouldn't pop her claws out she'd be able to touch someone and be in a relation with someone she could have that human touch wolverine wouldn't want to touch another human being as long as he lived he'd go run in the woods and he'd be happy but the (laughs) very thing that made each each of them uh, the, the the sort of best and strongest at what he or she had as mutancy was also the thing that was that was hurting them so much on the inside. And many credit many credits to the many Marvel writers that came before us, especially Chris Claremont, yeah. that set so much of that stuff up mm-hmm. and and built the modern team. I mean, Len Wein and Chris Claremont, between the two of them, yeah. did ninety percent of the building of the nineteen seventy five uh, new team of X Men, which is, you know, it, it may be. It was selling good for comic books, but not, you know, that doesn't mean that it's has TV numbers, but right. it had this diehard group of fans. Um, and then you guys were able to introduce all of those storylines. Speaking of that, I want to know when I was, a ki- I'm despite me looking much younger than Cassie and Mike, I'm actually the oldest. <laughs> I was, I was about 11 when all this was going down. So I remember what it was like for Fox to be introduced to us. And when I was 11, there was basically the Simpsons and X-Men and then everything else. When when did you guys know that, oh my God, we have a phenomenon on our hands? Like this isn't just some Saturday morning cartoon anymore. This is a phenomenon. Interesting point. And again, going the way back machine, it was, it was not the same. Like we're talking right now on a computer that we didn't have instant back then. Yeah, we, yeah. we did have ratings. Yeah, we did have ratings. Aware. And we knew about, we knew, uh, you know, six, eight weeks in, there was a really big hit and that it was a big success. 
But just to give you an idea again how little the industry had you know, we were all let go after we finished writing and drawing the first season which is typical right <laughs> yeah so we were so we're all working on other shows because they didn't really think that you know it wasn't like you know you had a five-year contract or no. something to to stay on in case this thing's successful they just thought okay they've done their work goodbye yeah um and so we i think julia has an anecdote about about uh uh, uh, U.S. mail involved with it about six. This was you know mid, midway through the first season when when it got a lot of number one ratings. We thought, okay, that's cool. There was no X Men office. The writers' office was our dining room, you know, yeah. and and the other writers working in their own homes. Yeah. So occasionally we'd have one of us would need to go to Fox Network here in Los Angeles. And I went in one day and was asking Charlotte Fullerton, who's become this big deal writer on her own, who was working there at the time, are you getting any kind of feedback? You know, do you, how how's it how's X-Men doing? And she follow me. So I followed her into a hall and those big milky mail cartons that you see mailmen with that are mm. full of mail. Yeah. yeah. There was a hundred, hundred envelopes in each oh, one, 500, 500 yeah. in each one and they stack them. So they, there was a stack of those all the way up to the ceiling, another stack all the way down the hall, all the way back up the hall on the same side, the hallway was full of these. And she goes, every one of those is a letter from a kid who loves X-Men. It's like, Oh, oh my God, I'd never seen it quantified before ever. And I just got a chill going, this is back when you had to get a stamp. Cassie you know, had to have an envelope. When we love something, we had to grab a piece of paper and yes. write down our thoughts and yes. then put it in an envelope and mail it to somebody else. Insane. So that was that was my learning curve. But uh Eric, you were you were also uh the number of TVs again, remembering oh. that Saturday morning tended to be the the kids' sacred time on yeah. network TV. That yeah. was the kids Saturday morning. As Ryan, so as Ryan was saying, in most places there may be four channels and five if you're lucky if there's an independent channel. And so Fox at the time, since they were so small, they were used to ABC, NBC, and CBS getting 90% of the of the TVs and Fox getting five to ten percent of the TVs. And that was okay. Fox was was little and they were making some money. Mm -hmm. And so we saw some of the ratings towards the end of the first year and Fox was getting 55% of the TVs and the three 50 year old networks were getting 45% of the TVs. So were, we were just, you know, that felt very cool. That <laughs> mm -hmm. felt a little revolutionary. That was, that was nice. Mm -hmm. Well, part of it is because you guys messed us all up when we were kids because I heard, I read three words that I had never read before on television to be continued uh -huh. and i was like what <laughs> i gotta come back next week and There's i did i quit more. little league when i was 11 years old so i didn't miss any x-men oh yeah kicking and screaming if anybody was like oh you want a play date no <laughs> what's gonna happen with dark phoenix this is a five-parter mom shut up <laughs> we we've met some folks and one person at the con was just furious his mother really bitter a dental appointment on the fifth day of that <laughs> Um, he, he never forgave her child abuse <laughs> especially it was like hard to get i remember my my sister like 10 15 years ago found dvds yeah of yeah. it and like i had known and so at this point uh i was in the army so i'd be in uniform eating my fruity pebbles before i had to go <laughs> into army watching it again just recreating because i was like there's so many i missed well, and <laughs> what we also found out was X-Men was was cleaning uh the, the the clock of everybody with with young the very young kids and the and the kids in the target demographic, 11-year-old there, you, Ryan. and But it was also getting older kids. And then we realized it was getting kids in college dorms because they were gathering on Saturday morning yeah. in the common room to watch it. Yeah. And adults were watching it. It sure. was hitting all yeah. these 
these different graphics. One of the most annoying things writing out here is when you said, especially (laughs) kids TV, is you sat down and you said, you told, well, we're getting all this money to support this from the advertisers and you need to focus the stories for like six to nine or eight to 11. And they even have child psychologists on staff to say, oh, no, no, that's a little too complicated for our target audience. And, and you know, no, we just need, and so they look very specifically at those and they just assume that if you do really well at eight to 11, you're going to fall off for the younger kids and the older kids and somehow you hit the sweet spot. But that's okay because the advertisers are happy. Well, we wrote as old as we could and we kept on screaming at these people saying, you don't understand. If you're eight and your 16-year-old brother or sister loves something, you're going you're gonna to really want to watch it. And you'll it force your brain to catch way. up. Yeah, it doesn't mm-hmm. go the other way. But it <clears throat> certainly goes, if you make something really challenging for younger kids, they're going to miss two-thirds of what's going on in it, but they're still going to love it. They're still going to mm-hmm. be intrigued, and they're going to aspire to figuring it out. And so we have that argument on almost every show we do. Can't we please write it older? And most of the time they say no, but in this time, you know, this time they said yes. And so we got this weird rainbow to where three and four year olds were loving it because it was fast paced and loud and all these cool colors were going everywhere. And our, we would argue that even though they didn't understand, say, romantic tension between Gene and, and Wolverine, they understood emotion. They understood that these three friends are having a problem. Mm-hmm. And they're not working it out and they're mad with each other and they're hurting. So we, we would argue to the people who are trying to tell on other shows, little kids get the emotion. They just don't quite understand it yet. And they got it. On, and it, so it worked on X-Men. We're, we're, we're grateful. You mentioned the previously, uh, the, the yeah. TV continued, which was all begat from the previously on X-Men. That was a huge fight, a huge battle. Oh, just again, just to clarify, I, I'm I'm a writer on X Men the animated series. Eric is the showrunner, story editor for every episode. I got to write a few, I got to pitch a few, and I got to be along for the ride for the five series run, five series run. But the to be continued and the previous on X Men, there were a lot of folks who assumed kids couldn't follow, kids couldn't remember, kids couldn't keep up. You had to do it in 22 minutes. Yeah. And we're because uh, the stories in comic books take place over a period of books. They don't you don't have a lot of just contained stories in one book. So yeah. so so it was the creative staff had to make a big argument to the executives because they're risking money. Uh, it took eight or nine months to produce one of these shows, and about four of those months were overseas in animation. And if if you, all your stories are connected, and as what happened with us, episode three came back from overseas and it sucked then you maybe had to repeat episode one and two a couple weeks until you could fix episode three before you could show episode four and five and six so that was something that that 99 out of 100 animation executives wouldn't risk the fact that you could have a production problem and if it's a connected story you you can't in live action you just get it done and there's there's no missing it but that and and that in fact we, there were delays the first season we were supposed to start in September and it, we only properly premiered in January it was a four month delay there were so were you guys just problems. nuts the entire time like was it under the gun stressed out going crazy the entire time actually actually we were we were pushing really hard when we we're making the show and trying at the time we weren't thinking about about schedules but trying to 
keep it together creatively the way we saw it is this very adult melodrama, this heroic melodrama. And because we're getting pressure from people, Margaret was getting pressure from people, from say TV affiliates and advertisers saying, what the hell are these scripts I'm getting? <laughs> you know, no kid's gonna watch this crap. And so she was having to know, you understand, when we get the stuff back from overseas, when you see it, when you hear it, it's gonna be good, it's gonna be good, take my word for it, trust me, your money's in safe hands, whatever. We're getting a lot of pushback to make it younger or to just change it. So that was the tension from February to like in October when we had a sneak preview and it went well. It didn't, I mean, it, they said, well, there was a sneak preview on, on Halloween where it played at 7 p.m. and people liked it. The well, two-parter, Night of the Sentinels. Yeah, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that it was a successful show yet. So it was till, till January till everybody realized, oh, this is gonna be a hit. And then everybody with creative questions just shut up and backed off. But <laughs> during that entire year from February to January, there was great pressure to, because, I, you can't blame people. They're worried about whether this thing's going to succeed or not. They either have money in it or prestige or their jobs on the line. And they're just taking our word for it that this is the right way to write the X-Men. And, yeah. And anytime you do something new too, there's that added yeah. pressure, you know? So that's where the pressure was. Uh, you know, we just, you know, as I say, the second half of the year, we went off to write, to work on Exo Squad, you know, for Universal to do another show. And just, where we're heads down into that show while the, the people at Fox were putting the show, were, were assembling the episodes and seeing whether they were good or bad or not. And that there were a couple of tense times in there as well. We got the first animation back and everybody had kind of hoped that there was enough money to make this very ambitious looking show work right. And there really wasn't. And the people overseas, I mean, it's like Margaret looked at it and said, we can't air this. And they spent, in a couple months and a lot of money upgrading it to what you ended up seeing. That was mm-hmm. not what the budget sustained. The budget sustained something much, you know, much worse looking. So Do you have were, a VHS copy of that, of that awful one that we, stuff, you can send us? I, no, no, I, I never, I never went through it. I never saw that. The pro, 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 producers did. The producers and directors looked and said, Oh my God. And they didn't, weigh us down with that. Well, we weren't employed by them anymore. Yeah, by, by, by the time yeah, we're on the, the next show, so it was, it was their problem. But uh, but yeah, they that was a that was a heavy duty problem. We also had the problem earlier on with the voices. We thought we'd communicated to the people. The people recorded it in Toronto. Some wonderful people recorded it in Toronto, Canada. Again, this was a money issue. Yeah, it's it they, they had a, they have a buyout. They don't have residuals like they do down here, so it saves them a little money to do it up there. Uh, but they've done a lot of other shows. They've done the show I did before that at Emmy winning the uh, Beetlejuice up there. You know, same gr- same voice director, mm-hmm. same kind of group of people. But they just couldn't understand that we wanted an adult drama. They, The first recordings of Night of the Sentinels were real Scooby-Doo-ish. Right. And way over the top and silly and goofy. And we just, I heard that. I heard the audio cassettes. That was the technology back then. They snail mail us audio cassettes and we heard those and those were we just curled up in a fetal position and thought okay the show's dead it's it, over you know this oh, this yeah. will never work and so we they took a month larry houston and sydney i Warner from here and He's an executive at and a couple of guys bob harris and joe calamari from marvel and went and sat with the people 
in Toronto and said, no, 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 no. We need gravitas. We need adult voices. We need to pull some people from your theater world here, from your Shakespeare festival and get these voices right. And they redid the four times. They redid it four times and recast it almost completely from their first pass. And, and I think that worked in our benefit because I think everybody here overreacted. We were so freaked out about how wrong it was mm -hmm. that they went up there and they didn't just get it okay. They got it exactly what we wanted. Well, in my head, I can hear Wolverine saying, I zoinks where I want to zoinks. So that, <laughs> so that would be terrible. <laughs> Bob Harris uh, was there for this. And you were saying, yeah, he he's a great a, guy. Bob Harris was on the Marvel side. This is crazy, but Marvel... He was editor-in-chief for a while, right? Yes. yes, he was. He was the point man between Marvel there and Marvel here in Los Angeles. Yeah, but, well, yeah, there wasn't really Marvel. I mean, between them and, 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 and us the show, doing the show. The show. Uh, and this poor guy, he was in charge of editing all... Th there were three or four X books at the time. He had to run all those books. So he had a 75-hour-a-week job to start with. And he had to read our premises and outlines and scripts. And, get, and give us, you know, marbles. So he he was he, was, he had a very light touch anyway. It was like, look, as, as long as you have the spirit of these characters, you know, write your own stories, do your own stuff. Um, but but he was he was very helpful. Very he was really patient with those of us that for him, you know, he knew everything there was to know about the X Men. So and those of us that didn't, he was very patient with. So he goes up there for the recording. Oh, oh here's, here's a good story about the, on Bob. Well, so, and and again, we all, I'm sure if you were reading the books before, you, you have your own voices in your head. You hear them when you read them. I'll admit, here we are decades later, the voices I hear when I see an X-Men is from the animated series. Those are the voices I hear. But they hadn't been done before, really. You know, prior to the X-Men, that's a separate issue. Yeah, so it's 1992, and Bob has read every single X-Men book that's ever been written. He's in charge of writing the current X-Men books as the editor. And he's in the, he's hearing these voices. In the sound booth. In the sound booth. He said that just the, the hair is standing back on, on his neck. Just, it was the, this magical thing yeah. that he'd lived with these characters, like living with a family for 25 years and, and having been deaf the entire time. Right. And now suddenly you're hearing Jubilee speak or Xavier speak. Or Wolverine growl. Or Wolverine growl. And <laughs> it may not have any connection with what you'd imagined went before, before you'd actually heard someone say it out loud. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was, we obviously, I, I couldn't share that, that revelation with him because I didn't know the characters before we started recording. But for him, it was a real magical moment to be in the recording booth while the cast was assembled. Well, that's to put, make it like, seem like too big of a deal but it's basically like those videos where babies get the cochlear implants that's what it seems like to me yes yeah yeah with with all the pressure from from different people for, the, for that first year what's the wildest thing you're like i can't believe they actually let us put this in this kid's show oh geez julia would say killing morph oh my god <laughs> oh that that, that ruined me that I, I loved Morph as a kid, and also all my favorite things now. A main character better die pretty quickly. Like that's just what I like now. <laughs> well, since you brought it up, and since you mentioned it, uh, let's also bring in the name of the Fox Kids broadcast standards oh, yeah. and practices person, a woman named Avery Coburn, who, by the grace of God, herself was an X Men comic book fan and understood what the X Men comic, what the show was trying to be. Because yeah. those people at every network, especially in the kids division, they had absolute authority they yeah. you know nothing got past them that they didn't want 
And you came to me because you and Mark Edens were big on the the hero's journey and and sacrifice and these big concepts, but you know, writ large in the world of the X Men. And you said, "Okay, we're we're going to need to kill Morph." And I go, <laughs> "Good luck with that." You know, that's going to be. Let me have that. Let me hear that conversation with broadcast standards and practice. And, and that took about that took about a week and a half of back and forth. Very very uh, diplomatic and thoughtful, thoughtful. and res- respectful emails and explanations. <laughs> and, you know, we'll do, okay. She asked, we do it off, off camera. She asked, you know, she had a half a dozen things. Okay. Look, I understand you're not doing this gratuitous, gratuitously. You're, uh, but you know, we have a few things. So, but it was so, also to prove the X Men were real. I mean, bad right. things happen, and there's consequences. Yeah, and that, like there's stakes for each episode. Like for Beast, go. Beast to stay in jail for the entire first season, and <laughs> yeah. for a character to die. Usually, everything is wrapped up at the end of minute twenty-two, and everything mm-hmm. is reset. And then next episode is the exact same thing. Right. Yeah. So you had that, but but that was also important for this for the show to 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 establish each of the characters in X-Men, we watched each of them mourn in their, in terms of their relationship to Morgan. And I, I thought that was, I, I thought it was powerful and wonderful and still can't believe you got to do it. But I, but I so respect that in spite of my um, concerns up front. <laughs> and, and he was supposed to stay was dead. Supposed it was supposed to be real. Uh, wasn't, really supposed, really wasn't supposed to be a, a soap opera death. It was supposed to be a real death. Or a Marvel and, comics death. But people like Mike <laughs> call, uh, well, no, no. Uh, no what uh, happened was uh, our the network <laughs> Fox, you know, they never, they can't just sit there and take the money in and love the fact they have a hit. They have to analyze it. And so they had focus groups of what, eight, nine year olds, about six, seven, eight weeks into the, the first season saying, well, what is it you like about the show? Who's your favorite character? And Morph just killed. He was by far <laughs> away, you know, the six to nine year olds favorite yeah. character in the show. And so we get this phone call. Okay, you've done your first season of 13. Morph's dead. But um, uh, we have a problem. Everybody knows now, and our advertisers know, that the kid's favorite character is Morph. Could you bring him back? And after all that trouble, after spending all those weeks talking them into letting us kill him, (laughs) obviously we didn't want to do it. But uh, we, we sucked it up, and we were professionals. And then we thought, okay, let's mess with it and give him PTSD. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was awesome is like, all right, all you little kids who whine to get Morph back, I'm, we're going to twist the knife. He is not that fun-loving, wisecracking person anymore. He is broken and all over the place, and will constantly betray his friends while crying about it. I, again, awesome. I think from a storytelling standpoint, that that was really remarkable to be able to do that in this show with these characters uh, on a Saturday morning. And yeah. I, <laughs> wow! Oh, the, the the one the one thing that we couldn't do that we kind of that we planned for fun uh, that I don't know. I think just about everybody at Fox kind of gave us a thumbs down on this, including all of our. Uh, 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 comic book crazed artists. Uh, Mark and I, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're friends since college and we each had young families at the time. We each had like a one and a half year old boy and another one on the way, mm-hmm. another kid on the way. And so we thought, well, we, we ended the first season. Uh, Jean gets proposed to by Scott and she says, yes. And we're going to start the second season seven months into her pregnancy. You know, they're going to be married and they're going to have this double beaten kid coming out. And we got these notes back. That was like our first 
we, we sent this into the, to everybody. Everybody wrote back saying, look, we know we're being progressive here. We know, you know, you're, you think it's cool to get into the side of those two characters, but Gene running around seven with a seven, eight months baby bump in spandex, you know, kicking, you know, fighting super villains. That may just be a bridge too far. So we were, so we, we pulled, we pulled back. There was a unanimous reaction to that. <laughs> But, but it could have been. But it was. But it, it could have been. But it was. It was. It was plotted out at first, yeah. and that's why Sinister comes in at the beginning of the second season to make the wedding not have happened. Right. You know, to to kill the to kill the the new family in its tracks. Which still was very confusing and heartbreaking. Just that alone for an eleven-year-old, uh, much less a forty-year-old, uh, <laughs> just playing with all my emotions like that. That's I, what we're here for. That's what we're here for. I want to ask you guys about, and if uh, give you a chance to pat yourselves on the back, and if you don't, we will. Um, <laughs> what do you think of the influence that this show has? Um, where, what do you make of it? Because uh, it's pretty extreme. Um, how 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 much do you think? Uh, here's what I'm saying: the world would be completely different if this show never existed. Not just me and Mike, <laughs> but the entire world. <laughs> what do you guys make of that? We we, we get that. It's just now. it's kind of it's kind of not real. Yeah. We, we get that at the time because we really understood there was no such thing as a Marvel movie in, we're, in 1992. Remember that. There was no, yeah. I mean, there were some attempts over 30 years at Marvel TV shows. And there was Spider-Man. And there were, you know, uh, and, uh, I mean, and there was constant rehashes of all the DC characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. not but, Marvel. But not Marvel. And the DC characters, you know, every 10 years or so, there'd be a Superman or a Batman movie. And it just wasn't part of the culture. It was this one-off thing that, that this little group of nerds would get and fine, fine, fine. So now suddenly it's the centerpiece. It's a genre. Of popular culture. <laughs> it's not just a genre. It's the genre. And we're, and they even hesitated at Fox. They, 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 ugh, you know, the people at Fox features, Margaret Lesh went to them after said, look, we've got the number one show on television. We've had for a couple of years now. Don't you guys want to make a feature out of this? Ah, uh, you know, it's a comic book thing. Oh. They finally made, let themselves do it. Okay. To hit us, and they they have nine X Men movies. And also, the X Men then begat Iron Man and Captain America. This is what I'm saying. All this thing goes crazy, and obviously, we have no clue about it at the time. We just wanted to have fun writing heroic stories. Yeah, that's all it was. It was the only agenda. <laughs> we weren't trying to nerdify the universe. <laughs> well, you did. That, that being cool, yeah, it made our general lives a lot easier. For yeah. sure. <laughs> It's the most important piece of pop culture since the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan. The oh, <laughs> the, the cartoon, wow. the cartoon, like the the Brian Singer's 2000 movie would not, which did have a similar roster to a cartoon yeah, show yeah. I know about. Oh, uh, yeah. I, that would people didn't know who the X Men were, but that was a huge hit, and that's because of the cartoon that allowed Marvel to say maybe uh, you know non Spider Man and Hulk, Superman and Batman characters can star in movies. That gave us Iron Man. That gave us the entire world of the pop culture that we have today. And it's because of you two. Yeah. We're about to watch oh, The Eternals this fall. Uh, the Eternals, folks. You, who, yeah, who the, the Eternals, yeah. <laughs> that has been an astonishing thing. Like within the last five, six years, Eric and I have not done a lot of, we haven't been going to comic cons or festivals you know, over the last 20 years because we, we're not artists and we're not voice talent. We can't autograph a, car, you know, a piece of art for you. But in the last five years, we started going, and it's just been astonishing to yeah. hear from people yeah. how much it meant to them, 
when they were younger with their families and now how they're having that again with, with their own children. It's my, it, it makes our hearts swell. If you guys want some advice, when people say that to you, just say, here's my Venmo. And then just, <laughs> just tell them to give you money. Okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what stunned me was, uh, okay. You mentioned the DVDs. We've been beaten the social media saying, can we please like get a Blu-ray set out? Can we please get a okay, box? Yeah. Set out? Can we, we please do some extra? We'll help you. We'll do whatever you we, need. We, no we, one, no. We've written two books for you. You can use <laughs> all that stuff for yeah. your extras and your, and your and, uh, extras. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. When, when Disney plus put if so you couldn't get it, you had to seek it out and right. it was hard to find the individual DVDs. But when Disney plus put it on, and we've been hearing from it just that that seemed to sort of set off another kind of another um, generation of yeah. you know par- you know kids kids of forty year olds who are who are watching it now kids of thirty five year olds astonishing to us. But yeah. Disney Plus doesn't have commentaries. Disney Plus doesn't have the special features that could come with a deluxe Blu Ray yeah. Criterion, oh, which we would love to do. Which would, which, We're which, putting that out there. We'd yeah. love to do that. <laughs> we, even, we even had. We even had uh, a, a company that makes wonderful boxes, mm-hmm. Shout Factory, talk to us and oh my God, we'd do that in a second. That's the one show that we would that we would do for free. You know, <laughs> we will make that DVD Blu-ray box for you. We'll build that with you if you can get permission. And but that get- was a little early. That was before uh, the rights had come back together, before uh, Fox and, um, and, Disney. and Disney and Marvel well, because the different people had different rights to parts of the X Men TV yeah. show, and so no one wanted to talk n- to each other. Then what? So when we wrote the first book, we interviewed, you know, all the cast and crew and executives um, about the history of the show. When we did that, Marvel wasn't at all interested in, in, in even thinking about messing with it. So we, in effect, we had to find a publisher ourselves. No involvement from Marvel. By the way, the book he's talking about previously is- on X Men. An oral, <laughs> an oral history. The making of the show. Yeah. So, so, so when we did that, but since that, so when it came out, since that, since the rights have come back together, Marvel's now all very excited about it. And they were very supportive of the second book, which is all about the art, which let us use the art. That was so we, cool. We put out the first book and it was a true labor of love, you know, an oral history thing. And then and it's just us. And we tried to talk to Disney. We tried to talk to Marvel, tried to talk to Fox. No one would even talk to us. But then, then Eric got an email from yeah. the guy in charge of global licensing for Marvel. Yeah, and I thought they were going to nail us for doing the book without the permission. <laughs> oh, my God. My and, and so I got it on the phone. He said, no, 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 no. Everybody in the office has read the book, and we love it. We just The rights are coming together in about six months, and we just want you guys to do a follow-up book with all the art in it. So that was, so that was cool. a very cool day when we got that phone call. we couldn't use much art because of the rights issues. Yeah, copyright. But with the second book, we had Disney and Marvel's full support, which makes a real big difference. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I bet. And let me tell you, when you uh, that the second book, the art book, if you put that on your coffee table and invite anyone between the ages of thirty and fifty years old over to your house, they will just start screaming when they see it. <laughs> you, you won't be able to talk to them; they'll just be flipping through it. Uh, guys, before I let you go, we do have to go into a speed round. But before, but this one's going to be different because Cassie and Mike are here, so all four of you guys are going to go into the speed round. Uh, the new rules uh, for the speed round are if you answer, not enough people are answering quickly. It is a speed round. If you answer quickly, then I will donate a dollar to the charity of your choice. For every answer that you do not answer in time, I will donate a dollar to the MyPillow guy in your <laughs> oh, name. No, no, so no. Uh, this is off the top of your head. We got to go fast. All right. Amarillo. 
Does that count? <laughs> you can't send money to the MyPillow guy. I'm trying to be fast here. Is that the right answer? No. Cassie, here we go. Favorite X Taz character. X Taz character. Oh, Xavier. Cassie. Oh, was that Cassie? Wolverine. Cassie. Wolverine. Mike. Uh, Cyclops. Julia. Favorite and why? Beast, because it was so much fun to write for, and he's a damaged poet. Oh my god. Xavier, <laughs> because. I had 20 different writers working under me and all of them were different. <laughs> I had like heard those 20 cats. You were the I Xavier. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. All right. Cassie, who is the least well-represented character on X-Taz? Uh, the llama dude. I don't know his official name, but we call him llama dude. <laughs> Mike, who is it? Uh, morph. I'm morph. Morph. Need more morph. Julia, worst represented X-Men character. Well, I'm not going to say worse, but I wish we could have done more with Jubilee being the yeah. youngest and being a foster child and you know, being of Asian heritage. We didn't really get a chance to do anything with that. But so that's my quick answer. Yeah. Um, Eric? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think Jubilee as well. That's one I, I regret looking back. We kind of let her and Morph drift a little <laughs> and we use them when we needed to. And we were focusing on. The, the other core characters, the 30 something. Because I think you can do more with 30 something. Wolverine yeah. got extra attention because we had to, we have to cut back on him because he's such a compelling character. But, uh, but yeah, I think Jubilee and Morph were the ones that got a little short shrift. It's so, it's hard to explain to people who weren't around reading comics at the time how Wolverine was on the cover of literally every Everything. comic, including yeah. DC comics. Like the guy, <laughs> the guy was everywhere. Uh, Cassie, last question. So far, because you and Mike are only halfway through. Uh, favorite storyline? Oh my gosh, how can I pick that? Um, can it just Savage Lands in general? Savage <laughs> Lands, yes. Mike? Uh, I think it has to be the Alpha Flight episode. Was that, I was going to ask if that was a demand from the Canadian voiceover <laughs> yeah. actors that you have to include Alpha Flight. Julia, favorite storyline out of all that you worked on or didn't work on? Okay, I, two then. I get to do two. I, I came up with the idea that became Beauty and the Beast that Stephanie Matheson wrote, which we talked about earlier. But then I got to give props to Eric, and he may say this is his answer. Uh, you, and you guys, it's coming up for you. But uh, One Man's Worth, it's a two-parter, I think in season three or four, where it's what would the world be like if Xavier hadn't lived long enough to form the X-Men? And what that means oh, yeah. is people have to figure out how to time travel to make to keep Xavier alive. It is yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah, the, don't want to spoil any surprises, but that, I love yeah. that. Episode. It's a wonderful it's, mutant. It's, it's it's my favorite. It's my favorite too because the hardest part for me each season was deciding what thirteen stories to tell or thirteen episodes to tell. Sometimes it was fewer stories, uh, and that one just kind of leapt full grown into my head. Uh, and obviously, I'm handing these off to other people to do, but yeah, that was that was the one that made me proudest that i came up with it i cannot wait for it all right mike and cassie this is the last probably the last the most famous guest we'll ever have on the show so is there any other questions that you have right now i i do there, there's so many stories i could cut up when we were talking about characters because we were talking about the the women on the and like you can talk at a normal speed though okay <laughs> <laughs> i didn't want any money to get sent to that guy uh Oh, the, no, we're the, that was that was it for the speed round. Okay. No money is going to my pillow. The, 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 the gals on the team are so strong and, and interesting. And and looking back, like Gambit and Wolverine blew up, right? In the 90s and those. Yeah. Now watching as an adult, not as a you know, six to ten year old, it, it did you purposely say here's what not to be as a toxic dude? Because it really seems like Wolverine <laughs> and Gambit are different <laughs> kinds of gross dude habits. And 
I could see as a five-year-old being like, that's who I want to be. And now I think why like Cyclops is like, that's a dude with a job who's just trying to get his family in order. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah, yeah, we we had great we had great respect for Cyclops because a lot of people, Wolverine and and Jabbit are so colorful and so compelling <laughs> and so, you know, yeah. But, that, but but we absolutely positively respect and admire uh Scott, I mean, he has the he has the hardest yes. he has the hardest job in in X Men world is is being the straight shooter and being the mm-hmm. Boy Scout. Everybody else is going off and telling and 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 being irresponsible. Now, as the female, and again, I was a female writer on the show yeah. back then. Let's just go back. Margaret Lesh was president of Fox Kid. Uh, Larry Houston uh, on the animation side was the first uh, African American storyboard artist in Saturday morning cartoons. It was we it was a lot of people. It wasn't just guys but um <laughs> to that end as as terrifyingly schmarmy as gambit occasionally gets and you can see the memes you can drain my energy anytime share yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and wolverine being wolverine there was not a woman on that team who couldn't knock him out throw him right. around who wasn't stronger <laughs> it's a very different power dynamic when the object if you want to call it that can take you out you know, and there's yeah. even, you know, Gambit, when Gambit crossed the line with Rogue, she just threw him out of the convertible, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, we love that moment. Maybe you can <laughs> Big fan. That's not always a position you're, that's not the position you're in when you have something gross like that happening at you. So it was different. It's, yeah. I agree with what you're saying, but in this this universe, heck, they could be able to gross all they wanted. They yeah. couldn't hurt anybody. Yeah, so, yeah. so, 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 the, so the, the male excesses of those two characters were not, threatening to our women there you go and the nice thing about you know gambit and wolverine was that however you know angry you know rageful and and crazy and un you know unreasonable wolverine got or however kind of mysterious gambit got because we, we tried to work on on that you knew in the end that they just they die for the rest of the team you know, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever, whatever their excesses, you know, they, they cut through that and become heroic at the end, no matter what it cost them. So that the women's strength and the guy and those two guys, you know, deeper, you know, you know, you know hearts underneath the smarm to me just cut through it all. And, and we've never really had uh, even like woke 2020 people looking back at it had real you know an issue with with that i mean even though even as you're right taken in a vacuum we could but i think those two other things you know their their actual good-heartedness and the power of the women Mm -hmm. cut through a lot of what might have been problematic in their actions yeah Mm because they're three-dimensional with flaws like all the characters are the flaws and what's really awesome is because jubilee i know you said you wanted to use her more but she is the reason both of those guys at different points like she bullies gambit into helping in so many episodes and it's like yeah listen to the 15 year old (laughs) (laughs) who wears deodorant (laughs) cassie what about you you got one last question I do. So I know we talked about how you had 22 minutes and these episodes, you packed so much into each episode. Was there ever an episode and you saw what you had created and you were like, this is simply too much. I can't put like, I've gone too hard on this episode. <laughs> well, we, we, we got sent that. I mean, as the writers, we kept on just stuffing it towards them and the poor production people. How do we, pro- how do we produce all that that fast? <laughs> that was, and, and that kept the pace going. We all were very aware of that. Our scripts were like, 50% longer than some people's scripts because we just kept on saying, 
we don't want one of these old slow-paced cartoons where everybody's sitting around talking and walking, you know, taking 11 steps to the door and opening the door. We and, can't afford that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not going to be good. Yeah. So, also, so, guys, this did not look like South Park. This is right. basically yeah. Jim Lee's art coming to yeah. life. So. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's very expensive to get all the stuff going. So, so although we writers never paused and said, well, we'll be gentle with production people. We kept on <laughs> making their lives miserable and coming too much. And there's an actual story to my great <laughs> embarrassment about Night of the Sentinels. And that is, this is the first one we'd written. And Mark and I, we just wanted to put everything in the world into the pilot, to make sure that everybody understood everything they needed to and knew these characters really well. And Will and Larry, Larry Houston and a couple of their best artists just busted their asses for over a month to make this huge storyboard for Night of the Sentinels. Individual drawings for yeah, every yeah. single thing. Normally it's about eight, 900 images per 22 minutes. And so this would have been 1,600 to 1,800. Well, he walked in with like, you know, 3,000 images and said, here's what you guys wrote. And he took about a third of it and dropped it onto the floor and said, now this is, this is, what, this is what we have room to animate. <laughs> I don't know how fast we do it. You guys overdid by 50%. And so part of it was painful because there was some cool stuff, which I can't remember now, but that we trimmed out of the pilot. And we asked, can we make it a three-parter? He said, no, 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 two-parter is the most. So I took basically 66 minutes of what we thought was a tight story and squeezed it down to 44. And oh, that man. was the time we went too far. After no. that, I learned <laughs> right. my lesson. I felt so guilty for making these artists work, you know, a couple weeks extra for stuff that mm -hmm. we just had to throw out that I just, I, I never let myself overwrite, you know, like that again. And if I you, don't hear up to Nightcrawler yet, the episode Nightcrawler. No, yeah. we have no Nightcrawler yet. Okay. And so again, like not episode like 45, something like that. The, when, <laughs> not to spoil anything, but I cannot believe we were allowed to tell a story about religion, about Christianity, not preaching about it, but saying, this is my belief. Well, this is my belief system I, on a Saturday morning. And the word you kept getting back was, no, go harder. Go harder on this. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the, the, the entire episode, which only really shows, uses two or three X-Men, is all about faith, which, yeah. is, uh, which is which is really strange for, 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 for Saturday morning. Yeah, but I have such respect for that episode. But if you watch, if you oh. look at it, you'll see iconically there is, it, it's all... Gingerbread oh, buildings oh. and stuff, very German, but there's and, no religion icon. And guys, please, if you haven't gotten, have you gotten through the Phoenix Saga yet? Not We're yet. about to start. We're okay. just weeks away. Okay, just, just a quick note. Check the books, whichever book you have referenced, because I've got them in the right order. The, there was, there was in effect, a sixth episode that followed the Phoenix Saga that was supposed to happen right after. Because it, uh, we're not going to tell you what happens in Phoenix Saga, but all the characters in this sixth episode are reacting to some very intense stuff that happened at the end of the Phoenix Saga in this day. And that ep episode had production problems. It was delayed two years. Two years. So oh, wow. uh, the other, some of the other ones you can are just, you know, they're standalone. You don't need to do them in order. But if you can, make sure, follow the book. Uh, I can't even Ryan, you're, you're in charge. Um, show, <laughs> show, show, show no mutant. Is, that's the one that's supposed to follow the Phoenix. Yeah. And got it. Yeah. And so you've got the, 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 the five Phoenix saga and then that one, because uh, they really connect and they didn't, 
And it was weird. Uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. the, the, the audiences saw something completely different and didn't seem to care. There was no internet. We didn't have to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we were gonna we were gonna watch them all in the order they were aired. But should we listen to the Lee Walds instead? Yeah. Is that? Oh, yeah. Do you think we should? <laughs> yeah. On that, do it. And, yeah. check, check check the book. They, yeah. they got the right order. Yeah. Okay. Those books, by the way, once again, are previously on X Men: The Making of an Animated Series. And the newer one, which let me get the title correct, is X-Men, the art and making of the animated series with the art license. And it's a beautiful book. It's giant. It's perfect for coffee tables, like I said. Uh, guys, where can we find you on social media? Please. Uh, I'm on it way too often, but I am on our Twitter feed. We are xmentas.com on Twitter. Uh, we are on Facebook, xmentas. We are, I'm trying to figure out Instagram. I'm, I'm not figuring that out very quickly but we're also on facebook <laughs> and we have a website xmentas.com where we try and post some blog stuff you know uh, some podcasts we've been on and stuff like that so please try and find us there too we try to be we try to be there for you find us <laughs> yes they are out there and they are awesome guys from the bottom of all of our hearts thank you so much for doing thank, thank you, do, you so much for doing everything that you've done in your life because yeah. again <laughs> It means we would not be here. So much. I needed that. Well, thank you, Ryan. <laughs> thank, you. thank you all so very much. Of course. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, guys. We're back as completely different people from that interview. As um, And I just a quick check-in. How are we feeling? How are we doing? I got to say, uh, there was so much amazing stuff, but uh, the thing that I can't get over... And if you fast forwarded to the interview just to hear our reaction to the interview, I guess spoiler alert. You're a weirdo. That's a fucking weird. <laughs> that's a weird move, bro. Um, Julia, Julia's revealed that she based an episode on her favorite Chaplin movie, City Light. <laughs> yeah. What the hell? Like, we got that out of her. That's how good of interviewers we are. Uh, <laughs> I just like to say I would die for them both. Love them. Um, we do. I would love to just talk about that interview uh, itself for hours, but we got to wrap this show up, which means it's time to talk about websites. Mike, can you tell me about websites? Yourpopfilter.com is where you can go to get all of the things we make. Throw a little slash Amazon on the back end of that, creating yourpopfilter.com slash Amazon. Bookmark that. That's how you shop now. It helps us while you're getting whatever fucking Tic Tacs or bathroom cleaner, whatever bullshit you buy from Amazon. Uh, <laughs> Cybersprout.net, if you want to build your own only boys, they will help you. <laughs> and then uh, yourpopfilter.com slash Patreon is where you can go to get all of our extra bonus stuff, killer cast pens, early episodes of Movie of the Year, articles, farticles, all kinds of slews. It's for yous. <laughs> all those terms are will be explained there as well. Um Oh, yeah, there's a index. Yeah, it's so needed. Ryan, can you tell us about the other shows? The other shows that we have, besides the Superhero Show show, is, of course, Movie of the Year, where we try to figure out what is the single greatest movie of any given year. We are getting dangerously close to the end of 1975. Uh, and so start listening now so you can figure out, so you can be told what the greatest movie of 1975 is. Uh, and also, The Unnatural 20s is Cassie and Two Others. Caitlin, who everybody knows. Mm -hmm. And then I do not remember the name of the other person. Uh, you she, know, the other one. She's tall, the other one. 
tall, dark, has wings. I seriously can't remember what she looks like. Uh, if you listen to the most recent episode of Unnatural 20s, they, she has hair like pubes, is what Caitlin says, <laughs> which is the biggest. <laughs> I was shocked. Like, is that a Maroon repu- 5 song? The reputation the Unnatural 20s have are being very sweet. And oh man, if you are supposed to be on their show and don't show up, <laughs> the things that will be said about you is fucking horrific. Cassie, can we get some uh, background? Was she supposed to be there and didn't show up? You she she bailed last minute and you know what if you bail last minute you're gonna get pubes you get pube hair that's just that's how unnatural twenties rolls okay. Uh, I now I want to bail last minute so I can finally get them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, like rate review subscribe to unnatural twenties and movie of the year and of course doing bits with Mike and Renee where Mike <laughs> and his lovely wife uh, sit down. Oh, wait, is that? Common knowledge? Are we treating it like yeah. you guys are just just coworkers? Coworkers. <laughs> it does uh, make it hotter. We're there cracking open every episode of Love Island and drinking the inside like it's a goddamn abalone. <laughs> Doing bits every week. <laughs> All right. We're also on social media. It's at your pop filter on Twitter and Instagram. You should give that a follow. Just banger of tweets, banger of posts. If you want that content, it's up there. We also got an email. It's contact at your pop filter. If you're walking, watching The Walking Dead or any of the shows we're not, email us. Let us know what's happening on those. Um, next week, we got a big episode. A big episode for us because we get to check in with uh, Stargirl Summer School. We're going to focus on that. And we know we love that. So be sure to tune in for that. That's it for this week, though. For Mike, I'm Ryan. For Ryan, I'm Mike. For me, I am Mia. Bye, everyone. Bye.